Recycle Garage in, I want to say sunny Santa Cruz, California. That might be a lie. It's, it's and, and usually sunny Santa Cruz, California. Hey everyone, this is Liza. Yeah, we had the weird rain today um, with the rain and the COVID and the protesters and the shark attacks. And I'm just waiting for the, the <laughs> locusts to come up next or something. It's been weird. They're, they're coming. Yeah, I know. I, we finally got rid of our vampire problem. Now we have all this. I know. I'm actually looking forward to the murder hornets. They look kind of cool. <laughs> I think I'll be sure to bring you one. Oh, do you really? I want to see one. They look cool. If I find one, I'm, I'm waiting for the uh, arson spiders next year. <laughs> so uh, let's get to who is with us. Of course, it is everybody's favorite as i found out today because i made that mistake em and i were randomly calling listeners <laughs> on facebook today just calling them up for video chats and i'd say who's your favorite we're taking a poll so it is everyone's favorite miss emma yes hello darlings i'm every woman it's all in me <laughs> and anything you want done do it naturally Hey, don't forget about the little people when you make it. Was that the history hole? Is your history hole whistle? whistle? That's exactly it was what the history hole was. It was a grief. All right, we'll just keep the good times rolling. Oh, I'm sorry. Of course, that was I'm Naked sorry. Jim. There you go. Oh, no. There it is again. You've oh, broken I think we're going to get a story. You've I think we're going to get a story. Emma. Are you going to no. tell us about the beginning of disc breaks, Emma? No, I think, I think when you hear that noise, someone's hat has to fly off or something. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, you just you keep breaking you should, every time you, you do should that. Mute me and Emma now. She loses it. Oh my gosh! Uh, coming to us from his garage full of Vespas, it's Bagel. Large and in charge in my garage. You know we were missing yeah. we were missing you yesterday. We were doing a project. I'll talk about later. We had right. to keep crossing the street, and there was a lot of traffic. And we said we just need a big traffic cone right now. Like, mm. where's Bagel when you need him? Hey, I'm great at blocking. A nice big ginger. That's all we needed. <laughs> and uh, no, just get that giant one on Jackass, and he could wear it and run around <laughs> exactly. in the middle of the road. <laughs> and coming back, he's been gone for a while. He's back joining us. It's Knock. I was gone for like one podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but we missed like you, man. Months now. Hi, guys. We missed you. I know. Oh, thanks. Uh, hey, thanks uh, for uh, giving me a call to see what was going on. You know, well, no, I appreciated that. We had concerns that you were becoming a hermit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. No, honestly, you, I think no, it was valid. Is, it, it just goes to show that you guys. It goes to show when you microdose for like three months straight. Hey, I'm just going to say 
here's a little PSA. If you have a good friend who lives alone during this shutdown and mm-hmm. has lost their job, give them a call and check in on them. It's that simple. Yeah. Bring them some fucking soup or something. <laughs> you that- know, yeah. and, I, and I, w- I will add to that. If you have a friend who lives alone and has lost their job and is prone to eccentric behavior, <laughs> usually manifested by wearing brightly, brightly colored child sunglasses, check on them once in a while. That is a valid point. Thank you. So um, now we're, what is this? I, keep, I should keep better track. Is this week eight? Of, oh, God, it's uh, like lockdown? day one million. I don't know. Day one million. I know. Um, you know, I think more people are getting out there riding. I didn't today, today because it was raining. But you know what today was a perfect day for? And this is another way for everyone who's longing for the community and and riding and some sort of sense of normalcy, uh, you know, for bikers, sometimes just sitting down and reading a good book, because there's a lot of really good, good moto centric books. Emma, you like to read. Have you been reading any good books lately? I have. It's funny you should mention that. Um I have been uh, reading a book, and it's got quite a long title, so um, bear with me. The book is called Shiny Side Up, Musings on the Improbable Inclination to Travel on Two Wheels. And the author is Ron Davis. You don't say, because... I don't I know. Do if, say. I don't know if this is a bizarre coincidence. <laughs> but guess who we have with us here tonight? It's Ron Davis himself. What? <laughs> well, how did that happen? <laughs> hey, Ron, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. So you managed to figure out the Zoom thing. This is working for you. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, I have done something like this before, but mm-hmm. it was always through Facebook Messenger, that kind of thing. So this is the first time I've found my way in but it was like you said it was very easy to access so thanks yeah well thank you for joining us and yeah it is true um with all the events and rides and rallies and expos everything's canceled this is going to be a very hard year for us bikers because we look for community we look for just more ways than just riding um, if you think about it, really, all of us as riders, I mean, how much of being a biker is the time you spend on the saddle? It's There's so much more. It's right. the movies. It's everything. And the books is just one of those things. So what a great opportunity to share with everyone another great book to read. So, Ron, can you tell us a little bit about your book, what it's about? Sure. Uh, about six years or so ago, uh, Bill Wiegand, who is the editor of BMW Owners News, um, approached me and asked me if I would uh, start writing a column for the magazine. I had written stuff for public radio and uh, some motorcycle magazines and done a bunch of reviews and that kind of thing. And uh, I I don't know, I, I the idea of doing something every month, you know, coming up with a a new topic to talk about with motorcycles was a little uh, scary, but six years later I had, I don't know, 60 or 70 columns. And um, then I was approached to put those together, compile into a a book. And uh, uh, Mike Fitterling from uh, Road Dog Publications um, 
contacted me and they have a whole stable of motorcycle riders. Most of them are like uh, touring books. You know, I went on the road of bones or something like that. And uh, so this was a little bit different. And so I sent him a few of my columns and he liked it. And uh, so that started like, I don't know, a six or seven month process of going back and forth and winnowing out and editing and all that kind of thing. Um, until finally the book came out in, uh, <clears throat> in August and last year. Tell me about why such a long name. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I remember I said to Mike, I said, well, how about this? And I threw out that idea and, uh, and I, it was just kind of a joke, you know, and a friend of mine said, Oh my God, that's a, that's a terrible name. That's a terrible title for a book. It's way too long. Nobody's going to read that. And by then, uh, Mike had said he liked it. So uh, it, we just stuck with it. Uh, the name of my column is Shiny Side Up. And uh, so that second part probably could have been left off. But it was really <laughs> just kind of a, I don't know, just off the top of my head. So and if I could jump in, yeah, because please. as the only other, the only person here aside from yourself, Ron, who's actually written the read the book up to this point, um, that's always nice that, when you're being interviewed about a yes, book. Yes, exactly. Only one person has read it. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's. I should have given it back, but it's actually it's a very interesting book, and I wanted to say that's, that's how it that's how it actually reads. It's a bunch of short stories in effect there are 47 for yeah 47 chapters and yeah. each is a self-contained story in itself mm -hmm. which in certain circumstances can lead to a very disjointed book but in this case it actually makes it a lot more fun because if you read it like i did as bedtime reading it's great because you can read Say, oh, I'm just going to read a chapter before I go to sleep. And in the end, you, you end up reading four or five. Uh -huh. um, but it, it's great fun. It's very anecdotal. It covers a lot of ground. It's very amusing. Um, I think you get a real feeling for your sense of humor very early on in the book. Well, thanks. Um, it's kind of you to say that. You know, it, it's funny because, uh, oh, Peter Egan... Uh, is a friend of mine mm -hmm. lives here in Wisconsin also, and I sent him a copy. And he said uh, almost the same thing. He said he called it uh, one of those just one more books. Like you start reading right. at night, and, oh, I'll read one more chapter. It doesn't matter if I stop here or pick it up in a, in a week later or, or whatever. So. But the advantage of a book like this um, is because each chapter is self-contained you don't feel you have to oh i've got to read it all in one go otherwise i'm going to lose the plot uh -huh, and right. it, it made it really really fun book to get through it's a oh. great it's it's a great coffee table book because <laughs> you know you can just leave it out you can pick it up read it have a couple of friends over hey read this chapter it's funny as hell and it i really enjoyed it well, thanks. I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. So I'm going to be keeping this copy, and if Liza wants to read it, she will have to bribe me with food <laughs> or booze. So I got a quick question. So sure. um, since this is a compilation of stories, um, where are you finding these stories? Are these all your personal experiences? Uh, I, I'd say the majority are uh, my personal experiences, uh, many of them 
quite unfortunate. <laughs> but, right. <laughs> uh, uh, some of them also, also are things that I have discovered through research or somebody told me about. Uh, there's one chapter in, chapter in there about a guy named Val Immel, who has a fascinating story about being uh, immigrating um, after the Second World War to the United States. It's a long story. But anyway, it, it, there really isn't a lot about motorcycles in that particular chapter, but it's a fascinating story. And, and there's another one about um, an Italian who uh, was caught in a huge um, a tunnel fire between um, France and Italy and mm. uh, <laughs> saved people out of the tunnel. Again, it's kind of a long story, but it's a fascinating story and it does involve a motorcyclist. In fact, um, I think it's uh, was it March. Yeah, every year um, he is such a hero in Italy that um, uh, motorcyclists gather at the entrance to that tunnel and make a like a memorial ride up and down this six or seven mile tunnel to honor him. So anyway, it's just a fascinating story. It has nothing to do with me, but I found it and researched it and told the story. No, and See, actually I, I wanted to um, tell a little more of that story because I, I find that story to be fascinating too. And basically it was, it's this long tunnel. There's a, a fire truck on fire and nobody could get in and out to rescue the people who are in this tunnel, except for hmm. he, Val on his well, motorcycle. Right. Yeah. Well, actually it was a, uh, like a semi full of margarine. Yeah, and uh, oh, no. uh, a cigarette. They figure now a cigarette had get sucked in through the air intake, and he got into the middle of this. Uh, I think it's six and a half or seven mile tunnel, mm -hmm. and there was smoke coming up from the bottom of his truck, and so he stopped to check it out and try to put it out. Well, that was the worst thing apparently he could have done because then that allowed a lot more oxygen to get to the fire, and. They compared uh, his burning truck to um, like six or seven uh, fuel tankers starting on fire. They said the truck turned into napalm, yeah. basically, and sucked all the oxygen out of the tunnel. And uh, this guy, his name was Tanazi. Uh, his job was just to ride back and forth on his BMW in case anybody had a uh, problem. And uh, he was on the front. Uh, the, the French side, and um, started going in, putting people on the back of his motorcycle, some unconscious, and Whoa. taking them out uh, one by one. He saved like 12 people, but the last person, uh, they had like little compartments that were supposed to be fireproof, and he took this other guy, this truck driver who had passed out into this little compartment, and they closed it up, but it was designed for a fire of like, um, you know, an hour or two. And this fire went on for 50 hours. And uh, so you know, they said his motorcycle literally melted right into the pavement. Um, well, anyways, <laughs> I guess it's kind of a gruesome no, story. That, that, no, that is a hero. Yeah. That's a oh, hero yeah. story. In, in fact, <clears throat> a, a couple days before it happened, he had been offered a desk job and hmm. for more pay and turned it down because he enjoyed just riding his BMW back and forth through this tunnel so much. It's a great story. Yeah, that, that is. I'm, I'm hoping that um, more of the stories in the book are as fascinating as that. But there is another story, though, that I think is fascinating, and I want to know if it's in the book. The first bike that you owned. 
I want to talk about this. Is it in the book? It's in the book. I want to talk about this. Tell everyone what your first bike was and how old you were when you got it. Uh, I think it was about 15 and a half. And I knew absolutely nothing about motorcycles except that I thought they were cool. And maybe, you know, girls would like me more if I had a motorcycle. And, uh, And this friend of mine, Kurt, had a... Uh, SL SL90 uh, Sport 90 uh, Honda and he had <laughs> does anybody know who Big Daddy Roth is? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, well he was you know uh, he loved Big Daddy Roth and he took this 90 he raked the front end put like a three foot sissy bar on it uh, ape hanger handlebars mm-hmm. um <laughs> painted spray painted the whole thing in purple flake <laughs> and uh and by the time he got done with this his father who was a, a doctor said no you're not riding that motorcycle i'll give you 24 hours to get rid of it and so he sold it to me for 50 bucks <laughs> and like i said i didn't even know how to ride a motorcycle and i remember taking it home i took it home on the sidewalk just kind of nursing it in first gear you know bumping it and um finally got it home and uh, I think my dad actually had loaned me the money, but um, I think he, I never thought, I think he thought I'd never get beyond the end of the, the driveway with it. Uh, but uh, my friends just, I thought it was pretty cool, but my friends started calling it the Chopper 90. And uh, it was, uh, <laughs> you can hardly even call it a motorcycle, especially the fact that uh, the Kickstarter spindle would always keep shearing. And uh, so the only way to get it started was to, to bump start it. And if you can imagine, you know, running down the street with these big handlebars, dropping it into second gear, usually the first time I forgot to turn the key or I didn't open the, uh, the, uh, the gas uh, tap mm-hmm. um, or it wasn't in the right gear or something like that. So it really, uh, two or three times usually to get started, it was not a, a babe magnet at all. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, also, uh, although Kurt was a great customizer, this friend of mine that I bought it from, uh, he didn't seem to fool around much with the electrics because the, mm. the taillight um, was great when the bike was just sitting there. But once you started, uh, riding, uh, it would flicker on and off. So at night when I was coming home from my girlfriend's house, I remember I always had a, a semi bearing down on me and the, the bike was basically invisible. <laughs> and uh, so I'm the brake light worked, I remember. So I kept tapping the brake light so people would know I was there. But, you know, it was a, it was a monstrosity. You talk about improbable. You know, that, that's a good word that's in my title because that's a very improbable motorcycle. So, Ron, I'm going to read from your book now. Sure. Um, yeah, so it says, Fortunately, my top speed for the S90 hovered around 47 miles an hour. I should mention that the girlfriend lived at the end of a two-mile-long sand road. In original incarnation, the Honda could have frolicked off-road, which is largely true. But as a pseudo-chopper, it shimmered and squirmed so much through the sand that I had to slog the entire two miles with both legs out to prevent putting the metal side down. (laughs) That is a dedicated relationship, Ron. 
You know, it's amazing that I stuck with motorcycles after that experience, really. <laughs> Ron, is, is it true that you rode BMWs only from that point on? No, no, that's not true. I went through... Uh, I, I, I went through a string of Hondas and it was only until I was, uh, had a, had a career that I was able yeah, to right. actually get a BMW. understandable. Yeah. Hey, I have a question. You know, I noticed that the title of your book, I think is just great personally. Um, but I Thanks. also love the, the cover art, you know, that's so cool. It like, it's cool. Cause it's simple and it's motorcycle. And it's like, Hey, look, I can do that. I can pour oil into one end and have it come out the other. Um, <laughs> but you also, it's just, it just cracked me up, but you have a background in, in imagery and photography, that kind of stuff, right? Oh uh, yeah. I've been a writing teacher for, I don't know, at least 40, 45, 50 years. Uh, I taught, um, high school, uh, during the school year, in photography and writing and then in the summers i taught uh, at a university here in wisconsin and then um, i eventually got out of high school uh, teaching and became a college writing teacher full-time for the last part of my career it's but i'm retired now we, okay yeah because reading your stories it's i mean you have these great images in your mind you're a great storyteller and you have these pictures and you can really see like like see what's happening in the story right Oh, thanks so much. Just, yeah, and I'm just curious, you know, does the photography into play into that, or, or, how, or do you express your photography with motorcycles at all? Uh, not so much, but uh, having been a photography teacher, I can't resist writing something with trying to come up with some sort of image. Um, other columnists in other motorcycle magazines, usually it's just their writing, but uh, I, I can't seem to just leave it there. I always like to come up with some sort of um, photo also. So, but, um, if I could say, you know, the thing I enjoyed the most about your book is something that I preach with bikes anyway. I mean, I build bikes and I build quite pretty bikes, mm -hmm. but bikes really are completely inanimate objects until you introduce the human element to it. And all of the other stories in the book are very, very human stories. Oh. It's kind of, we, we're going back to what you were talking about, that a couple of the stories weren't heavy on motorcycling, but mm -hmm. that all of the stories are very, very um, high on the human element. And to me, motorcycling is nothing without introducing that element. And that's what I enjoyed so much about your book. Well, thanks. You know, it's kind of a contradiction because about the only criticism I've gotten, um, and, and this was more about a column that I wrote that's in the book, um, is that, you know, what has this got to do with motorcycling? But since the book come out, since the book has come out, um, the, the main comment I seem to get is, you know, you don't even have to be a motorcyclist to enjoy this book because it's about human experiences and about human foibles and uh, about what a dork I can be at times. It's a, it's a human story uh, more than it is. Uh, well, like there was a book signing party about a month ago and they asked me to read one of the chapters. And one of my favorite chapters in the book believe this is about getting a colonoscopy and uh <laughs> wait I, I love favorite that. chapter kind of or are you talking about favorite experience uh, no it was not a favorite experience okay just checking it was my favorite chapter because uh i just love that story and really it doesn't have anything to do with motorcycling except for the fact that i write for a magazine where a lot of the uh 
readers are older and mm-hmm. you know are going through that. Uh, well, that but, and your first bike was a chopper. I think those are the two comparisons. <laughs> chopper. I think that's the connection. Yeah, but uh, it's probably the experience of that colonoscopy story is probably one that uh, people can relate to because what happened is I got in there into the procedure room and I'm getting all ready and they're about to put me out and everything. And this this tech, this young lady in the procedure room turns to me and she goes, oh, Mr. Davis. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God. Give me the drugs now. Just, oh, Mr. <laughs> Davis, you're you're my favorite teacher. teacher. Just, <laughs> telling the doctor about it. I can't oh, no. I can't wait to go on Facebook and tell all my friends about how I, I met you again. And it's like and then the doctor now the roll doctor, over. The doctor chimes <laughs> in and he says, Oh yeah, and Sheila is putting her photography skills to work. And I look up and there's this four by five monitor above me, hanging above me <laughs> so, oh, that they're Lord. all gonna be watching as I get my colonoscopy. And uh, So I guess uh, well, you could I guess you could say that uh, former student knows you inside and out, huh? <laughs> ha 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 <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. Knock, you take a week off and you get unfunny, man. You get you can't take any more weeks off. <laughs> I was funny at one point. That's not true. <laughs> no, I mean, I actually introduced motorcycling into my colonoscopy a couple of years back. They, um, they didn't actually knock me out for it, but they made me so I pretty much didn't care that I had a camera being shoved up my bottom. And, you know, they do a film of the camera going up, which looks oh, like a tell. motocross, which looks like a <laughs> motocross track. So I'm laying half awake on the gurney, looking oh at God. the screen, making, mo- making motorbike noises as it accelerates down the straight and goes. Right you're about to race, you're, you're racing John Penn through the woods. Exactly. No, it's me and Wes Cooley going through you the woods. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's really one way to get like an uh, involuntary colonosco- colonoscopy is when you land a dirt bike wrong. Yeah, that is true. That is true. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, or, or a jet ski. Ass. I've heard horrible accidents. Yeah. We've got to redirect this conversation. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Oh, yeah. Jet I can say these are instruments of the devil. <laughs> get us out of here, Ron. You got well, us here. You know, Emma, you know, mentioned these human stories and um, I I don't want to seem immodest, but another one of my favorite uh, chapters in the book is um, talking about the experience. And I know you've all had it where you pull into a gas station and you're putting gas in the bike or doing something and somebody invariably would will come up to you, maybe an older guy or an older woman or something and and say, and just strike up a conversation and talk about how they used to have a motorcycle right. and how they had ridden out to Alaska or something mm-hmm. like that. Wherever I go, you know, um, just having that hunk of steel and plastic there is sort of a bridge. And uh, that doesn't happen in a car. You know, no. I can pull up my Subaru to the gas station and putting gas. Nobody comes up and talks to me. <laughs> hey, I had, a, I had a Subaru back in 1976 during the Carter <laughs> administration. You know, that doesn't really happen. <laughs> but motorcycles, often it's a very nostalgic journey for men and women of a certain age because, you know, 
maybe she rode a bike or he rode a bike and they caught it together on motorcycles. And the whole motorcycling thing has been put away for 40 or 50 years. <clears throat> and now they see you and you, you seem like a pretty approachable cat. <clears throat> and so they're going to come and chat to you and, and just relive their youth for a little while. It is. It's the human element. And that's what really makes it for me. Mm -hmm. So um, I got a question for the misfits. This is a, a little game. Who can guess? So we've already established that he writes for BMW, MOA, the Owners Association. We call who those can things guess? Who can <coughs> guess what kind of bike he rides? Well, I was going to say that we call those things BMWs around here. <laughs> um, yeah. And Aaron, I want to take a guess what he's riding. Is it the? Uh... One of the which BMW is that the question? Yeah, Wait, which BMW is he riding? He's riding a GS of some description. Uh, you guys want to take a guess? GS eight hundred. GS eight. No, no. What? Yes, three ten. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great bike. Oh, cool. It's a great bike. And you know, coincidentally, you know who convinced me to get that bike when I was shopping for a, a new bike last summer was Jocelyn Snow. Was, mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, I, rode, last, I rode her bike. Yeah. And I think last, when she sold it, she had like 200 miles on it. Right. <laughs> no, the last time Jocelyn Snow actually came to the garage, she appeared on this GS310. Yeah. And I was absolutely captivated by it. It was in the martini colors. Yeah. And I just thought, it is a pretty little bike. And it's a good looking bike. It's a nice yeah. looking bike. Yeah. They, uh, she, I think it was Sean Thomas, did mm -hmm. a comparison right. uh, between the GS1250 and the 310. Mm -hmm. And well, I know that she kind of works for BMW, but I, I felt like she gave a pretty honest review of it. And I've had big BMWs and small BMWs, and I was ready to try something a little bit uh, smaller. And after reading, I edited actually her article after I read that. Um, I sold my uh, 700 GS and got a 310. Mm. Um, my question for you, Ron, how many miles have you done on yours now? On the 310? Yes. Uh, about three or only three or 4,000, I think. Yeah, but more than Jocelyn. I mean, my question is, how is it holding up? Because it's Indian built, isn't it? Or Yes, Made in India or Indonesia? TVS or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But it's um, holding up well. And there were some oh. teething, teething problems with the, uh, when it first came out. Um, there was something with the kickstand would break off or something. And then right. there was a problem with the frame. Those were corrected. And I have the 2019, and it had um, brakes that were built by Brembo but they mm -hmm. didn't use the Brembo name and there was a, a problem with those. And so it was, I just got it back. In fact, it was recalled and they put on whole new um, calipers, calipers on it. Oh, yeah. calm. But that's the only problem that I've had. I, and I never really had a problem. And I think the recall was only in the UK and the United States, uh, mm. but it was a problem with moisture getting in there. And then the, um, the pistons would stick in the caliper. Right. Yeah. Okay. No, I find it interesting that that is your bike of choice. It's something that we talk about often. Um, everyone keeps trying to introduce the smaller bikes, that there there's, should be a smaller bike market, and it never does well here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said about people who started or have gotten used to riding large motorcycles as 
well handling as some of them can be, getting on a like a physically lighter weight bike is a little bit more rewarding to a certain degree. Like mm-hmm. you could just throw it around a little bit more and feel a little bit more part of the bike, and you kind of like it's it's like a, it's like a more live dance partner kind of a thing, you know. Well, I've I've got a surprising statistic for you. The yeah. third best selling BMW bike right now is the 310 GS. And if you combine the 310 GS with the 310 R, if you combine their sales, it's their best seller. Really? Yeah. No doubt it. Yep. Sounds about right. Wow. When we that's think- globally. That's globally. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, yes. I've yeah. got a statistic. I have a BMW statistic. Ron may know this. Okay. He may not know this. Liza, what was the biggest selling BMW for 1998? And it outsold all of the others by about two to one. The 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 F650 wasn't out then, was it? Oh, the Funduro? Yeah. Nope. So if it was 98, I'm going to say K100. K- nope. Okay. The Cruiser. No. No. Yes. no. CL? Yep. No. It was, it was the best-selling BMW for 1998. When, when did a the long James, margin. When did the James Bond movie come out? 98. <laughs> That's it. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And you can check the figures. It is the wildest thing. But that was the best-selling BMW for 1998. Did it like the sales immediately just taper off after well, that? Well, it was kind of a flash in the pan, that bike. Yeah, you know, I seem to remember that they were everywhere, and suddenly they went. You know, the styling didn't hold up well. The bars yeah. are weird. I don't like but, the bars. But there are still riders who, you know, love them. Oh, and and yeah. you know, I know a lot of BMW riders, obviously, and I got to tell you, BMW. BMW riders tend to be a little snobbish. Have you ever oh, noticed yes. that? <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? <laughs> but it, it's, not, it's not just towards Harleys. It's like, oh, I've got a GS1250. How can you ride that baby 310? You know, right. they're snob, snobbish to each other. But and Not everybody, but I, I've just noticed that in the community. You know? I maintain that Cruiser is the best sidecar tug ever made. Oh, yeah, that's that's probably. And just so you know, I am a snobby Africa twin rider. Yes, you are. (laughs) You are an insufferable Africa twin rider. (laughs) Like your cohort, Jim Stark. When the pair of you get together. Yeah, honestly, you two are insufferable. Well, but Locke was right, man. The smaller bikes are more fun. I was up in the mountains today, and it was all wet and mucky and slippery. And I was like, thank God I'm not on the big bike. I was on the yeah, you took the rally ride, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have totally eaten shit on the big bike. I, yeah. I have no doubt. But the, like, the little bikes are super fun. I bet, I, was I, bet, just talk- I bet, Ron, when you get on the dirt or in the woods, I bet you're going, you know, they can't keep up with you at all. Oh, no. I, I was just talking to, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of SRC Moto. Uh, they're up in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I bought uh, stuff from them before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, the the founder, Scott Hart, um, and his wife, I think her name is Lisa. Stephanie. Oh, I was going to say it's Jonathan and Stephanie, heart to heart or something. <laughs> that's, right? that's his mistress. <laughs> you just blew it. Oh, 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 oh. Anyway, they used to be Moto Stuff. Well, they, they have a company called Moto Stuff, and now they've branched out into this new company called SRC Moto, and they're 
exclusively marketing stuff for small adventure bikes like like the 310 you know um ktms i'm going to show you some parts right now on my honda that i bought from them actually oh yes i can walk outside (laughs) oh joy (laughs) yeah anyway there's that uh so that's the counter shaft cover you see plastic on the and then this is Will it tell oh, yeah. the chain guard? Bling, bling! Right? You can see, I can't tell. Anyway, yeah, they were super cool. Like, great company. Anyway, sorry. Well, if I can make a plug for them, yeah. I just put on some crash bars on the 310 from them, and they are the, the beefiest, the best quality crash bars I've ever installed. Um, they have good stuff. And their customer service was great. They had overcharged me shipping a few bucks. I didn't notice, you know, because, you know, shipping's always different. It's always too expensive. And I got a note from two days later. Hey, we overcharged a couple of bucks on shipping. Refund you the stuff. Thanks very much. So, yeah, yeah. I, great company. They must be doing okay because they just moved into a new uh, building. So, yeah. yeah so, and now it's a $50 minimum order because they're so busy. <laughs> well, part of the COVID. I think that's the thing. So, I wanted to cover some stuff real quick. Where can people find your book? Uh, everywhere online. Um, uh, Amazon, all the book e booksellers have it right now okay and again it's ron davis shiny side up musings on the improbable inclination to, to travel, travel on two wheels. wheels there it is there's the cover now are you still by his book are you still by his book are you still writing your column as well uh i am but you know um after six six plus years it's harder and harder to find <laughs> topics that other people have not written about yet you know if you if you're a a fan of motorcycle magazines the few that still are around like i am um Mm -hmm. i I know that other columnists are in the same fix after a while there's only so much you can say if you're going to talk about human experiences you know Mm -hmm. the well is 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 getting uh more shallow so i got a question for you how is uh having to publish in the in this day and age of like digital press and has that changed? Because I'd imagine um, you, you, you've done stuff, you know, before all this too, right? Like, right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really different. Um, for instance, uh, with road dog publications, they go to like a massive printing outfit that, prints a certain number but now they've got everything on file so mm-hmm. when they start get down, getting down to a certain number they can in a matter of two weeks they can print out a whole new uh stock so wow. it's uh and, and and the the editing um instead of running galley proofs back and forth everything being di- digital it was a long process but it makes it a lot easier too yeah there are a couple um typos in there i think that finally got through us both but uh, uh, between all the going back and forth it came out pretty clean I think and I'm, I'm going to help you out here if you're always, ever looking for a topic sh- shoot me a, a call give me a call we've managed to have over we have like over 350 hours of recordings talking about motorcycles and I used to think oh well it's going to be harder and harder to find something to talk about but I just keep meeting more and more people and finding more and more things to talk about. Uh-huh. Um, well, and you know, you know that's, that's one of the things about 
that attracts me and keeps mm-hmm. me involved in motorcycling. I didn't mean to say there was nothing yeah. left to experience or nothing left to, to learn because really the thing that, that I like about motorcycling is I feel like the more I learn, the more I want to know or the, or the, right. the more I realize I don't know yet. You know, right. It's a lot like, uh, well, I'm a fly fisher too. It's the same thing. You could go. You could spend two lifetimes becoming a, a fly fisher. And you know, dare I say it, without trying to sound like a broken record, when you introduce the human element into anything, there are endless stories. You know, over the years, we've become quite a popular podcast, and the reason for that, I truly believe, is everyone's striving per- for perfection. We're a bunch of idiots. We make mistakes and we embrace the mistakes we make. We do some amazing things. We've built some amazing bikes. We talk to amazing people. Mm-hmm. But at the heart of it all, we're a bunch of boneheads. And I think that really resonates with people because number one you know, we're not. Yeah, we are number <laughs> one boneheads. And. <laughs> You know, that really resonates with people because, you know, the conversation we were having before the microphones were turned on, Ron, you know, you said, wow, you know, all this really lofty company that's come before me and how a little, how's little old me going to fit into it? Well, we all fit into it because it's all part of this human, the human story. Uh-huh. You know, and, and I, watching that interview you did with Jocelyn, um, you know, the best stuff in there is when she's telling these stories about the personalities of mm-hmm. the people that she was on the BDR with, you know, right. and, and it wasn't about, you know, how I negotiated this curve or anything technical. It was these human stories that made it so interesting. Right. The yeah. best part of that BDR film is when mm-hmm. she's trash talking. <laughs> no, Jocelyn Snow trash talking. It, it makes the whole film for me. So, you know, it's, it's, it's how things are. We all want to be perfect, but we're all far from it. We're all deeply flawed human beings and all the better for it. Yeah. Just like motorcycling, sometimes the journey is as important as the destination, right? So say Confucius. In a, yeah, in a cookie. <laughs> hey, um, Ron, I was wondering if you would do us a favor. Before we let you go, I need your help with something. Okay. So uh, every week... We like to give away an Evil Knievel stunt cycle. Heck yeah. And it's time to give one away. But before we do, I want to remind everyone, um, hey, we had a winner last week. Um, <clears throat> actually, no, we're last week's, we're about to give the answer and we're about to pick a winner. So the question was, how many buses did Evil Knievel jump at Wembley Stadium? And the answer, Miss Emma, do you remember? Yes, I do. And I was just saying Wembley Stadium comes between Tubley Stadium and Thurbley Stadium. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. (laughs) (laughs) So, down the street, Stadium. What? Mumbley Stadium. (laughs) That's the very first one. (laughs) Thank you, Jim. Yeah, that fell flat. Um, and I think it's very, very pertinent that El- uh, that Elvis, that evil didn't make the jump <laughs> because it was a very unlucky number. 
13. There it is. 13 <clears throat> single-decker buses. So, Ron, we had 14 people send in the correct answer, and they are entered to win this Evil Knievel stunt cycle. I just need you to pick a number between 1 and 14, and that will be this week's winner. Okay. Uh, I'll say 9. Number, number nine, nine, the winner nine, this week. Congratulations, nine. Chip Bishop. Hey, well done, hey. Chip. Awesome. Make sure you, yeah. Do you think ever. it's chocolate chip or minted chocolate chip? Oh, I hope it's minted <laughs> chocolate <laughs> chip. <laughs> um, so congratulations, Chip. You are the winner. I still have more to give away, so... Let's say we give another one away this week. Yeah. yeah. So here's the thing, though. The questions are going to get harder. So I'm going to give the question. If any of you misfits or Ron know the answer, please don't say it out loud. But I'm guessing. What is the square of the hypotenuse? I'm guessing that you won't know the answer. So, again, I'm making it a little bit harder. So one of the most famous jumps, probably the singular most famous jump that Evil Knievel did was the one in Las Vegas over Caesar's mm -hmm. Fountain, um, which he famously did not land. Right, well, he didn't stick the landing. Let's just say he crashed. Um, you know, he, he puts his life at risk for these events. And this is one that he had made a deal with Caesar's. Um, and he had a contract to do three jumps and three different dates. And the question is, how much was the contract for? How much was he being paid to do these three jumps at Caesar's Palace? Ooh, that's, that's a very esoteric question. It is. I know. But the answer is out there. I found it. Um, and it, it's, it's. He was not paid enough, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, on that one, pain. Uh, his, and morphine. his femur was snapped in half and thrust up into his pelvis. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, Ooh. I think he was like a foot shorter. Oh God! Uh, thanks for that image. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. And he said he never lost consciousness on that jump. Oh man, that's Good even Lord. worse. Yeah, I know. Ugh. But that's why he always walked with a cane, that famous cane. So, um, there you go. If you know the answer to this question, go ahead and email us at recyclemotorcyclegarage at gmail dot com. And if you have the correct answer, you will be entered to win our next week's contest for the Evil Knievel stunt cycle. So, Ron Davis was Evil Knievel a big deal for you growing up? No. What? <laughs> <laughs> All know. them's fighting oh, on, you know. Dude. I gotta, Peter this Fonda podcast is going in the garbage, I can tell already. Yeah, Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper works. Oh, there you go. All right, that, that more than makes that's, sense. That'll work. Okay. All right. Well, hey, Ron, I wanted to thank you for coming on and sharing. And, and did you want to do any last plugs before we let you go? Uh, well, I, I didn't mention that. Not only is the book available online through all kinds of mm -hmm. uh, e-tailers, but you can also go, just go to Road Dog Publications okay. uh, at RoadDogPub.com. And there are uh, lots of motorcycle books there that people might oh, also be interested in. And also, um, Aerostitch has picked it up and they have it in their library too. And there are a bunch nice. of good books at Aerostitch also on motorcycles. Um, 
So, Ron, um, because we are legitimate journalists and get free stuff in the mail, I didn't pay for your book. So for mere mortals who are listening to this, um, what what are they going to actually pay for this? Uh, I think it's everywhere. I think it's $19.99. That is a lot of reading for 20 bucks. That is a lot of reading for 20 bucks. So, yeah, that's it's actually really good value. So we bring um, you value for sure. Yeah, buy buy Ron's book. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, do let us know if you have any other great like uh, books or stories or anything you want to share in the future. Reach out to me. We'd love to have you on again. Okay. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks for having me on the show, Ron. Ron. Thank you. Nice meeting all you. Good night. Come visit. You guys, we got some more people joining us. What? What? It's Charlie and Micah. Hey! Hey! What's up, yo? Hi! We oh. aren't narcs. You aren't narcs. <laughs> you guys, Micah told me a, a funny story about when they were in Hawaii, something that happened there. Yeah, we ran into a listener in Hawaii. We were at a friend's wedding, um, and they were talking about motorcycles, and we were like, oh, hey, we're doing that in Santa Cruz, and talked about the podcast a little bit. Nice. Yep. That was very cool. It was great to meet him. Um, I don't remember his name, but uh, he was telling us about all the dirt he does in Hawaii on the Big Island. Nice. Yep. No, I think I was a different person. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Charlie. Good good story, Charlie. (laughs) So, hey, you know, the garage has been open, and, and even though it was raining, it was a bit slow, there's still things getting done. And actually, it's been a great opportunity for Charlie, who did... There's also things not getting done. No, you got something done, and it's one of those, like, yay moments that happened today. You want to tell everyone what you finally completed after how long? Well, the engine didn't blow up, so <laughs> that. The motorcycle runs... Yeah, so he's again good story, Charlie. So uh, Charlie has a is YZ two fifty. Yes, it's a two thousand YZ two fifty F. Okay, surely you mean a YZ two fifty? No, I mean a YZ two fifty because it's, it's a, a Japanese bike and it's not a British bike. <laughs> it's a YZ two fifty with okay. lots of valves, lots of them. Yeah, there's five. <laughs> and you took it apart and did an engine rebuild. And that then, wasn't planned. And then uh, COVID happened and the garage shut down. All I wanted down. to do was, was replace the top, was just do valves and put some rings on there and all of a sudden something went down the engine and and, and then the whole thing came out. <laughs> <laughs> it all fell apart. So, uh, uh, moral so- of the story, use a rag when you're putting the, the sir clip on for your piston. Oh man. You hear all the sounds of it going down in you know where I found it? It was in the transmission. Uh, oh shit. Okay. Wow. It made the transmission. Okay. <laughs> and some people were like, you could probably run it. It's probably fine. And like, yeah, it's probably fine. But like, yeah, un- until it breaks a gear. <laughs> So um, I would like to give um, a little bit of a Misfits top tip 
at this point in the proceedings because Charlie built the engine and did an absolutely stellar job of it, aside from dropping the circlip down. <laughs> um, I actually did the cylinder head work on that bike for him. And like many bikes, competition bikes of that period, it came with titanium valves. Now, when it's time to rebuild a head, the idea of titanium valves is the valves wear and the cylinder head doesn't. So you just replace the valves. A lot of people choose to replace the titanium valves with stainless steel ones, not least because they're about a third of the price. However, here is your top tip. You must never replace titanium valves with stainless steel ones without changing the valve springs as well mm. to the correct weighted valve springs for stainless valves because the valves weigh more, so they need a firmer spring. And, I'm, I mean, that bike, you know, Yamaha built that bike as a race bike to win races in, you know, factory um, competitions or whatever. Right, so and last two races. I got a question. I got a question regarding that. So, like, does the aggressiveness of the cams at all, like, make a difference in terms of, like, how fast it opens the, the valves? Or is that a um, factor to worry, too? No, because a valve can't open faster than the lobe of the cam. Right, it's okay. A but pure, it's a purely economic thing. Okay. Um, it's a part that's moving up and down really fast and has weight and mass to it. If you make that part lighter, it's going to perform better. Well, sure. it's going to perform sure. better at the absolute top of the range because yeah. the enemy of every valve on the face of the planet, planet is valve float. Yeah, and valve okay. float is when it starts overtaking the cam. And theoretically, the more the valve weighs, the the you know the earlier it's going to encounter valve float. Well, we can overcome that with firmer springs. Right. So. In real terms, you're not going to feel it. You might you might gain like half a horsepower or one horsepower on 40 horsepower with titanium valves. Well, that's enough to win a race. But on a 20-year-old dirt bike that even a talented rider like Charlie is tazzing around on, yeah, if you want to lose a horsepower and put in long-lasting stainless valves, that's a good bet. Furthermore, the type of riding I'm doing, I'm not like racing MX and pinning yeah. it the entire time. I'm doing mm -hmm. more technical goatee stuff where you just like go up a step or something, you know? I oh, have, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a trail bike, right? You're yeah. using the regular old, yeah. I have never cool. seen you ride a bike, Charlie, and not pin it. So don't <laughs> give me that noise. Yeah. Hey, um, for any of our long time listeners, we've got a little treat for you. We got another misfit who just joined us. It's oh Douglas. Hello, hey. misfits. Hey, hey Doug. What's, up? what's up, bitch? How's it going? It's like I it's like I just saw you guys earlier. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. We're still so excited to see each other on Zoom, and we were all together in the garage an hour ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> we can we can technically start a company now with this many people on a conference call, right? Is that how that works? Yeah, that's what everybody else is doing. Yeah, I mean, I you've gotten your check, right? <laughs> I want to raise. I want to raise. Oh, Jimbo. Hey, what's up? Jeez. Hey, what's up, Doug? How's it going? No, but um, good. There was some dirt today. There was nice. there was a great moment, Charlie, today. After you know, you spent all that time rebuilding an engine. You hook up the gas, 
and you get on yeah. there and you start kicking it and is it going to start and it's like where everyone's yeah. standing around watching yeah. you know yeah. and it's it just like, like three <laughs> kicks yeah it was, and then it's, well, the and then first kick i did it without a choke just to see if it would do it mm-hmm. yeah um, which yeah you know i knew it wasn't going to but yeah the thing runs great it starts pretty much first kick um you know probably could use some adjustment and like little tuning or whatever maybe and like the gas is old too like the gas is probably you know a few months old now well you got to run some some heat cycles and break it in and then do the valves again and like so the valves need to get broken in i mean i don't know if valves do need to get broken in but i'm just saying that um need to get broken in the rings need to get broken in the whole thing needs to like seat together or whatever yeah any new part in any engine needs to break in and then get adjusted yeah so like It'll probably run better and like start a little easier after I get a you know ride in or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a good feeling. It's one that Jim is yet to experience. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually just watching. Nothing. I got nothing. I was just watching the uh, the YouTube motorcycles and misfits video where Jim had the uh, the XL broken down. All right. Talking about that snap bolt. I don't know. Did you ever get that thing running, Jim? Yeah, it was awesome. That was actually the that was the first thing I ever took apart. That was a yeah, eighty three XL XR three fifty. It was XR three fifty. Yeah, it was great. It just it was running kind of crappy, low compression, I think. So yeah, I took it apart. You know, it took weeks, broke things, put it back together, took it apart. Yeah, after like three months, it ran exactly the same as it did before. <laughs> I consider that a victory in my book. That was like a bizarre. I said that for like people in the books that fucking Gary. <laughs> yeah, but what a perfect yeah. bike to tear into oh, yeah. and to go ahead and break bolts and and do it, all it, the I things. Mean, That's why you have bike. the realization, like you know what? Maybe I don't want to work on bikes ever again. Kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. <you know>? yeah. <laughs> Every day. That was that was even an air cooled bike too. So yeah. Now I'll, I'll yeah, but this I- project I did was supposed to be like a couple weekends. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be a couple weekends more because even uh, though you seem to be a good engine builder, you're not a good parts purchaser. Well, there's a, there's a whole story behind that. And I was going to wait until I got back down here on Sunday to double check the tire sizes. And then a certain somebody um assured me that this was the correct tire size to buy and it okay. wasn't when you say a certain somebody it sounds like it's me it wasn't me i swear to god <laughs> <laughs> oh, we we already know you're not allowed to buy it was, parts. It was, it was antonio antonio fucked me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i i told him i was like i don't know i think i'm just gonna wait until sunday to figure this out and just double check everything and he's like no man this is what i run on all my motorcycles and they fucking wrong <laughs> wait a minute so am I right to assume that he told you to buy an 18-inch rear wheel and you got a 19-inch on it? No, he said to buy a 19. No, 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 no. no. So it's an MX bike. MX bikes run a 19-inch wheel because it's lighter and it works better for MX. But we ride this bike on the trail. So he had said that he replaced the wheel for an 18-inch wheel. So I bought a tire for an 18-inch wheel, but it actually has a 19-inch wheel on it. Mm-hmm. Now, going off what the factory specs are, you you can't at that point. And I knew the factory spec was a 19 inch wheel, and that's what I was going to buy or double check or whatever. But he had said he swapped the wheel out, so I then trusted him and whatever. Um, 
But... So, um, are you going to administer the punishments to him? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I already called him. He didn't pick up. Um, so, <laughs> Okay, I'm sure he's going to listen to this at some stage. So, yeah. um, no. have at it, Charlie. Yeah, don't, we'll, we'll don't see hold back. back. Um, well, and I, I've got a couple of choices. I could go and buy an 18-inch wheel, and it would actually be probably better for the type of riding I do, because I don't ride MX, I ride trail, and that little bit of extra cush in the rear would actually probably benefit me because the actual outside diameter of the tire doesn't really change it just, no it's it's very similar it's just yeah. you've got a higher side wall yeah so like that itself would probably really benefit me but it's do i want to now go find a wheel and whatever but or so now i have to deal with <clears throat> returning this tire or you know so there's this whole deal i've got to deal with. well charlie but, if you want to buy a rim and spoke it from buchanan's I will I will show you how to lace it up and true it. You know it's harder than rebuilding an engine, Charlie? Lacing a fucking wheel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the next it's the next step. If you want the next challenge. Gotta do it. You well, gotta do, you know do it. How, do you know how much one would cost? Under hundred dollars, right? It's pretty cheap, I'd imagine. No. Spokes would be about like a hundred, hundred and twenty five maybe. Yeah, you can see. Yes, nice set of stainless spokes for about 120. Mm -hmm. I mean, the spendy bits, the rim, but yeah. the XL rim's a couple of hundred. So you're going to be going to be into about 300 bucks. Yeah, yeah but then you've got to do one. it yourself. <laughs> well, if you can find one. Well, you know? Charlie, you know what you could do. I could cut my wheel down. <laughs> I was going to well, say. <laughs> you can just get better at making ill-fitting parts fit together like Emma does, just like she did on her gold wing that hey, we talked you, about. I'm not stretching that, that tire to fit. <laughs> no, no, what you could do, Charlie, is you've got to sit down and do the math. You know, um, the circumference is pi D, so... Get your wheel rim and then figure out, cut a slice out of it like you're cutting a slice out of a pizza. Well, you're going to have to do and, multiple slices because you can't just cut it and bring it back because now you're going to have an oval. No, it'll be fine. And just gonna, cut it like a pizza and then just bring it together and, and just put a bit of tape on just it. Just buy a taller tire. Yeah, and then um, stick the tire on. The tire will hold it together. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, you just got, get a really tough a rim band in there, so you don't need to rely on the pressure. Yeah, the tube will hold yeah. it together, and yeah. the rim band. You know, yeah. it'll be and fine. Tape, and the tape will help. All right. So then, yes. when I'm on the side of like a trail, like you know, ten miles up, you know, pushing. Yeah, my just call me back uphill to the campsite. I'll we'll, be. We'll come get you in a moment. Yeah, just call Emma, and she would really appreciate it if you had your video on at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you did it. <laughs> so sorry, we got away from the. Uh... Yeah. So yeah, I wanted to talk a minute. We we talked uh, was it a week or two ago. We talked about Emma's Goldwing, and now pictures are appearing. It's kind of like when there's a, a new Harley or new BMW, and pictures get leaked when someone's out on a test ride. Well, the <laughs> picture of the Goldwing has been leaked. It's been on the. Uh, I just put it onto our Facebook page today, and it's been on our instagram that's the not yeah, it's, kind of it's a full-on photo shoot man I've got, a, I've got a question for emma about the gold wing okay yeah sure. what's the optimum weight of ice to use 
the optimum weight of ice. Yes. Oh, uh, the coolant, you know, the ice you put in the radiator. No, no, the, you, the ice you put around the airbox. Oh, for the intercooling? Yeah, yeah, Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's just there's a little tray sitting on top of the plenum chamber, and it's just for packing ice on it. You use dry ice. No, I use ice out of the, you know, it's it's only for making a quick run on it. So you just get ice out of your refrigerator and just stick it in the tray. True. Well, the, the tank, the, there's not a lot in the tank anyway, so. Yeah, exactly. But no, you just stick it on there because, I mean, the thing is you've got to get that intake temperature down. You've got to get right. it down as much as you can. So when you go to get gas, you get another three-pound bag of ice and you're good yeah. to go. Yeah, exactly. And you just... Well, then you actually design a, a hopper or whatever so it'll spiral in new ice as you go. Yes. yes. Oh, I had a hopper <laughs> once. Like, his nice name was, no, I had a hopper and I called him Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> so, so hey, Emma, I was watching uh, the, uh, the stuff on Instagram blow up with old Tubbo, Tubbo the Turbo. And yes. people had questions. So a couple of questions, if you don't mind. And I think... Did somebody fall? I think that was knock. <laughs> was it? Did knock, stairs. knock, did you fall down and can't get up? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. I'll, I'll, I'll get right over. Knock, do we need uh, to call anyone? Are you doing your valves right now? We need to know you to find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put in no, those stuffers frames. No, I think he's going to the toilet. Oh, you're back. Oh, no. No, we were worried about you. There was this big crash and the screen went black. <laughs> we thought you'd fallen into the bowl. So what questions? Hit. That's why. What I want to know what questions there were about her bike, her build. So a couple to start with. Uh, you may have mentioned this before, but what's the turbo off of? The turbo is off a Subaru WRX. Mm. And does the owner of that car know it's missing? No. He does now. It's exactly. Okay, he's wondering why his car got very slow very quickly. No. Um, so another question. I'm sorry. It was ahead. a friend, and he rolled the car. Right. And, you know, he pulled the turbo out really as a memory for himself, but he got tired of looking at it, so he said, oh, Emma, just take this turbo because I know you'll do something stupid with it. And I did. You know what the joke is with Subaru guys, right? No. It's, uh, I don't always, brrr, but when I do, I. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that sounds like me after I've been eating Indian food, darling. Yeah. <laughs> what's up? That's what's up? So, so some of the other questions were, did you ever think about doing something with the giant gas tank and the seat? Yeah. Well, mostly the giant gas tank. You see, and so what we'll do. And I was hoping Mike could be on here as well because I wanted a lot of owners get very, very defensive of their bills as a lioness protects her young. And I'm not, <laughs> and I'm not like that. I actually enjoy people critiquing the bikes because it shows that they're thinking about it. What me and Mike have very much in common is the things we build defy description. And there's been a trend over the last 10, 15 years to build these things, you know, cafe racers. And there's very much a formula to build it. You know, you use a gas tank of a CB750 Air for a CX500 and a mm -hmm. brat seat, and you've got to wrap your exhaust pipes, take the fenders off, put balloon tires on it. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. And you can make a very, very nice looking bike. And because it's a widely accepted and admired platform, you're going to get a bike that really appeals to a lot of people. Turbo was built for one person, me. And if you like it, that's great. If you don't like it, that's great too. There's not everybody who's going to be into a pink turbocharged Goldwing. You know, so, so the, the actual building itself, the building well, itself the, is very singular. Let me read the comment, because you'll appreciate this, because the two gas tanks you named were the two that he had suggested in his post. So, Emma, you're a genius, <laughs> and I love your segments on the podcast. This is right. Johnny Erder. He must be a pirate. But I don't know about that gas tank. Maybe a 750F or a CX500 would round it out better. Right. And potentially black out around the radiator, not to draw attention to him. Right. I told and him you... to eat a dick, but that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I did see, not. I did not. But you see, Johnny makes a very, very valid point that if you're building a formulaic build, radiators are bad, so you want to draw attention away from them. I'm quite happy having a giant fucking radiator on the front of my bike. And it just so happens that an original feature of the first Goldwing, because they weren't sure how much cooling the radiator was going to get, they put these giant friggin' scoops either side of it and color matched them to the bike. So I did the same. Liza, you have your hand up. I do. I actually have a question. Um, you know, we, we haven't talked a lot about turbos. There have yes. been turbo bikes in the past, yes. and I've yet to ride one. I would like you to describe what it feels like riding a bike with a turbo. So um, it's a very, very interesting experience riding or driving anything with a turbo because um, – most trucks and buses on the road are turbocharged. Most diesels on the road are turbocharged. And then you get into the bikes and you get into the cars like the Subarus. What a turbocharger does is, is it changes the, the intake vacuum into pressure. So what it, your engine doesn't suck fuel in. It has fuel pushed into it. And it's a very, very easy way of getting more horsepower. Um, when you actually ride anything with a turbo, there are two things you have to keep your eye on. The first is your revs, and the second is is the amount of input you're putting, basically how far open the throttle is. You all know you can be riding down the street at 5,000 RPM with just a whiff of throttle. On the other side of the coin, you can be riding down the street at 5,000 RPM with a throttle wide. And this is going to have a drastic effect of the characteristics of the turbo. The turbo is driven from the exhaust. So the more, the more push you give it, so basically the more you open the throttle, the higher the exhaust pulse is, the more the turbo is going to push. So it kind of builds on itself. The closest I can describe it to is as um, most everyone's ridden a two-stroke. And even the little two-strokes have a very defined power band. You ride them, and then suddenly at a predetermined RPM, all the power comes in and you take off like a scalded cat. <laughs> this is a very similar experience to a turbo. 
the modifications you have to make to an engine to make it successfully turbocharge actually take away from performance. So until the turbo is actually producing pressure, it's quite dead. It's quite wooden feeling. Um, it doesn't feel like a 1,000cc bike. It feels like a 500cc bike. You've got no power at all. But then the turbo spools up and you get this really big shove in the back of your pants and off you go. It's like the rush you get with a two-stroke bike, except more so. Um, I'm still getting the carburation right. I mean, I would famously admit it took me 18 months to get the fuel injection right on the Moto Guzzi. I don't expect Turbo to take that long, but it's going to take some sorting to get the carburation right. So, yeah, I was curious because um, even though I've not ridden one, I've heard people describe, you know, on the like the CX650 turbo or is the, the was it the FJR? Well, there's, 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 there's I mean, there's a few, right? Yeah, there's, there were four yeah. major yeah. players in the turbo field, some were more successful than others. But the CXs and the GPZs were really the best of the bunch. And they describe it as it just comes on all of a sudden, there's like a punch, and then there's a slight delay for winding down. Right, and, that, and that's called the lag. And that's, you can mitigate that. And that it was not a bike that was successful because there that was kind of like a a surprise power punch, you know, right? and hard to control. So I'm curious, since this is a modern turbo from a modern right. car, does it still act like that, or is this a little more refined? To a certain extent, yes. I mean, I, I built this bike really as a tribute to my friend's dead Subaru and, you know, as a barroom bet amongst friends. Oh, Doug's got a cat! <laughs> yeah, it's my kitty. So Oh, say so. Oh, what a beautiful cat. Yeah, it's bacon pancakes. <laughs> Has bacon pancakes got a bit missing out of his ear, or is it just a camera? Yeah, oh, they, do that, they do that when they trap and release. Oh, he's such a handsome boy. Yeah, yeah he is. He's a good Meow, meow, bacon pancakes. Meow, meow. Um, <laughs> so um, the turbo actually is far too big for the bike. If I had if I was starting from scratch and actually building something that I wanted to ride on a daily basis, I'd put a turbo on that's about half the size. It's a big turbo. And with a big turbo comes big problems. You get a lot of turbo lag and you get a lot of time to spool up. So you whack the throttle open and you wait one, two, three, mm -hmm. off you go. And then when you shut down, mine's better because we've got these things called blow-off valves now. So when you shut the throttle and you close off the air intake into the engine, even though the, the turbo is still spinning and going go, 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 instead of the air kind of backing up, now there's a little valve that opens and makes that diarrhea noise you did so well, Knock. <laughs> like to do that noise again for me. <laughs> blow-off valve so that's basically and the the blow-off valves weren't around in the 80s when these turbo bikes came out hence you got this terrible lag and the way they got round that in later years on cars until blow-off valve technology improved rather than have one big turbo often they'd have two small ones or when they started getting really technical they'd have one small and one big turbo so 
The small one would be very responsive. It'd spool up and down really quickly. And then when you had a long straight stretch of road and you just buried your foot, then it, the big one would spool up and off you'd go. These were cached in line, right? The, the, they compounded them? Is yes. The right yeah, yeah, they compounded them. Um, yeah. Bike turbo technology never got that far. We were yep. stuck with a, really just four bikes right around the beginning of the 80s. And they're just marvelous period pieces. Um, yeah. I, I have to be honest with you, the worst of the lot was the prettiest, which was the Suzuki XN85, which is an absolutely gorgeous bike. Um, but in terms of turbocharging, it was the least successful. It was the closest to stock performance for a 650, really. So, Emma? So, yes. Now that I know somebody with a turbo, will I have an opportunity to experience a turbo motorcycle? Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, as with anything, I'd like to get the bugs out of it. I try and let you ride everything that I have access to. Um, you've yet to ride the Guzzi, actually, which I think you'd enjoy very much. Haley Bell loved that thing. Um, the the Guzzi is a, is a beautiful bike, but... Riding a turbo, that's something on the checklist, and that's something I'm going to add to the real biker quiz because I think we need to put another one together because there's some stuff to add to it. Like, have you ridden a turbo motorcycle? Right. That's a um, small number of people. It's a very visceral experience. There's a lot of noises going on. There's a lot of strange noises going on. I mean, everybody knows the, the spool-up noise of the turbo, but the wastegates are blowing off the um, uh, 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 um, the pressure relief valves blowing off it's 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 quite an experience at the moment it's a bit raw and ready my original concept I wanted to debut it at the quail which of course didn't right. happen <clears throat> that was um, supposed to be this weekend right so I kind of rushed it through when I pushed it through did the little photo session at work so people could get a taste of it. <clears throat> Over the course of the remains of the summer, if I'm not too busy, I'll get the bugs out of it. But, I mean, as with all of my stuff, it's something to ride and enjoy. And as soon as I get it where I'm not embarrassed by it, you can ride it. Thank but you. you'll have to make sure because it will want to suck your left leg into the into the <laughs> turbo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got to sign a waiver. <laughs> oh, Micah's got a cat as well. Yes, it's it's a cat. It's a cat cask. Absolutely. Yeah, I got Josie here too. Hey, um, hey guys, we got a a listener question this week. Um, I want to get to, but before we do, um, I just wanted to give a little like heads up. So Emma, Jim, and I have been working on a little project lately yeah we did and it was um we had a lot of fun yesterday didn't we yeah we've been working on uh shooting the videos for the new youtube channel and we did a we spent a few hours yesterday um at a great location that we're going to go return to because i would say yesterday was a lesson learning day um yes. and yeah, how i learned hard can it be making a video how, how hard can it be uh, I learned that that uh, cheap Chinese camcorder I bought actually uh, isn't 4K like they said it was. <laughs> no way. 
before Koi. Well, you know, I, I think you, know, less- you don't need 4K anyways. You don't need 4K. Yeah. I actually do because the problem is I have my um, DSLR camera as the second camera. And so the reason we're not able to use a video is uh, editing between the camcorder and the DSLR. The difference in video is so big and it changes color and and everything so it's like it's distracting to do are two cameras still with the, are you taking stills of the DS, dslr or are you doing video with it video with it so why are you just using video with that one it doesn't have in mic because we're doing a two camera right uh, so, okay um, yeah 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 so does everybody remember where liza found me all those years ago that would be the Jameson motorcycle. Behind the dumpster? <laughs> yes. I was um, giving a shades behind the dumpster. In the dumpster. Um, no, it's, it's actually called Hange. <laughs> is it a Hange? <laughs> I have no idea of the proper technology. Old-fashioned. It's old-fashioned. Yeah, we, we basically took a walk down memory lane yesterday. We did yep. indeed. We it went good. back to the Jameson Classic Motorcycle Museum and... It's gotten a little bigger in my absence, but it was it was great being back, and it felt very much like home. And um, we talked about a couple of bikes in there, and we actually did a history hole on a particular bike. Mm-hmm. And I want to make it clear that with everything I build, I always try and include some nod to the previous incarnation of that actual bike. If you look at my turbo build, it's got these big intakes on the side of the radiator that everybody takes off. Well, that's number one. But the second is I encourage you to look at the rear shocks, and it's got some old Stuart Warner gas shocks from the 1970s on it that everybody put on these heavyweight touring bikes because you can adjust the pressure in them. And they're really 70s. They're completely touring. But it's part of the bike's history, and I wanted to include it in my build. So we did a history hold on a Norton I built for Jameson, and we talked about that bike's actual history from the day it was sold right up until the present day, which was a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah, so there you go. So um, got a couple of emails. Uh, let's get to this first one. This is kind of cool. This is from Cody and Mariah. Hey, and, Cody and uh, Mariah. And Mariah. She says, my name is Mariah. My boyfriend's name is Cody. We ride a Yamaha FZ07 together, and we were planning a weekend trip to Santa Cruz and hopefully to meet the crew. But the pandemic curbed our plans until it's over. Wah, wah. Crap. We watch all your videos, and Cody listens to the podcast while he is working. You guys are fucking cool, and all of you have inspired <laughs> me to learn how to ride. That's awesome. Definitely caught the itch just riding on the back of the bike, leaning into turns and pulling some double up wheelies. Whoa. Hopefully we can meet meet you guys next year sometime whenever all this craziness is over. Emma's Army, thanks for being such an awesome person. You are my favorite. P.S. Fuck knock. Wow. (laughs) And I'm going to share... I'm going to share some information. So back in the 60s and 70s, um, the police in England used to have these vans. And if you were behaving badly, um, they'd round you up and chuck you in the back of the van and take you out to the jail. And paddy wagon? No, I never, 
Yeah, yeah. No, I never got to ride in the back of one. But they were black, and they were called Black Mariahs. <laughs> I was oh. wondering where we are going with that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that, that's, that's what they were known as. And all of the pe- English friends who are listening to this right now of a certain age would say, oh, God, yeah, I remember the Black Mariahs. Yeah, I got collared <laughs> and thrown in the back of the one and got taken down the old, uh, down the old Nick, eh? <coughs> I think here's what Mariah's first bike's going to be, so she'll have to let us know what she ends up. Uh, yeah, no, looking forward to seeing them. I hope you guys can come visit. I would love to meet your FZ07. I mean, I would love to meet <laughs> Yeah, I know that's a favorite of yours, Micah. Yeah, Mariah. A, I, it's a great bike, that FZ07. I'll tell you what. I hope that, yep, um, I hope that Micah is an inspiration for you, somebody who did get off the back of the bike and is now a full-fledged biker all in. Doing your own uh, work on it today. Even pulled out some power tools. Um yeah, I was surprised there. And 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 hopefully you can even become uh, a biker like Jim, who now is so crazy for riding. He went out today in the rain on a four-hour yeah. ride. Well, it wasn't raining when when I left. <laughs> if you're lucky, you'll get to accidentally rebuild an engine, just like me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've had that luck. I have well, dropped stuff down the camshaft and thing there. And I was concerned for you because you went out riding on the um, the CRF250 with the dirt tires on it. And I'm kind of yeah, sketched. And a lot of people say they're great in the dirt. Don't ride in the rain on them. <laughs> yeah, I was feeling pretty good up until you told me that. I was like, where's the go for ride? And then you're like, well, what bike you take? And I'm like, the little bike? And she's Oh, really? I'm like, yeah, what about the tires? I'm like, what about the tires? <laughs> but I've ridden that bike and those tires plenty in the rain all over the place. So I, I wasn't worried. So I run the, I think like it, Charlie. The, I think it kind of really just depends on the tire because I feel like a lot of it's the tire compound. Yeah, I think most of it probably depends on the tire. But like you, I run those Moto Zs and uh, Traction Eater ITs. And, um, but they were 25 pounds. Um, but yeah, it wasn't really that bad. I, I went down to PCH and it was okay. And then I started climbing up into the mountains, um, and it got wetter and wetter. And then by the time I got to the top, which is whatever, about 1800 feet, it was like, uh, what do they call it? Driving rain. It was like driving fog. Yeah. It was like, you, it was like that. Me and Liza have been up there and you guys probably all you guys have experienced it, but yeah, it's, it's like yeah, it's super heavy fog. Yeah. And it stings. I mean, it's blowing sideways and you have to have your visor open because you can't see shit. And actually stings your face. That's how hard. But it was foggy drizzle. But it was a hoot. I I like being out in the weather. And um, it was a nice dual sport ride. Yeah, I was gone for like four hours. Um, and a whole variety of riding. Everything from freeway on the PCH. It's whatever. But then yeah, it's just more so, beat up. More, yeah, more beat yeah, up roads sorry, the further ahead. you go. Oh, yeah, no worries. And, Doug, I know you've been up in this area. And, uh, yeah, and then you just get off onto these basically fire roads. But it's it was just stupid beautiful. And, and I enjoy riding in the rain. And, uh and the mud, it, it really varied the riding up, too. Instead of just being hard-packed dirt, it was all sorts of crazy stuff from, you know, that to the worst was when you come up on basically like asphalt with an inch and a half of mud snot on top of it. And you just pin it, look up, and keep going. But um, it was beautiful. I mean, Doug, you've been up there. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, though, yeah. try try running about 20 pounds in the rear, particularly. Uh, when, I, yes. when I put the dirt the dirt tires, the DOTs on the, on the XR, and I'm driving on the street, uh, I've I've uh, experimented. You know, that's every bike is different, but I got the best yeah. results with the right about twenty twenty one pounds. And oh, interesting! Can, so a little bit less, a little bit less, and you're going to feel a little less squirrely. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely try that. Or in the rain, 
in the rain and the street. Oh, I have one question, though, while we're talking. When you're on knobbies in the rain and you're in the twisties, do you put your weight on the outside or the inside of the peg? Outside, outside. peg or inside peg? On the outside. On knobbies? Outside. Right. That's what I was yeah. doing. It felt right. Yeah, okay. Well, you go slower. Yeah, the idea is you're riding at a pace where where you weight the pegs doesn't really matter too much. Just like yeah. take it easy, man. Well, like if you yeah. put your feet on the inside of the bike, you're going to be able to keep the bike more upright so you don't need the traction versus you put the weight on the outside, you gain more traction, but you're leaning right. more. So it's just like on the dirt, but uh, it was great. It's just like our own little BDR. There's so many fun dirt roads and backcountry roads. And you know, I got to see like all the kale growing and shard all the organic farms, strawberry farms, you know, crazy stuff. But, uh, but yeah, it's beautiful up in there, but then you can only see like 50 feet in front of you. That's right. <laughs> but you know, Jim, it's the weather can move very, very quickly. I remember when my, my brother came out to visit me, he was amazed how quickly the fog can move in around here. I mean, it mm. rips. One oh, it moment like it can be clear, and then it just comes in at like a billion miles an hour. Yeah, like when I was when I was riding in Scotland, it was just like that. Kind of like all of a sudden, here comes this crazy wind, thick fog. You can barely see, and you're super wet. But like I said, it was fun. It was nice to get out and ride. I haven't been doing much riding, and um, yeah, and the dual sports stuff's great. So, well, that's yeah, hardcore biker shit. I hope that's the kind of inspiration that uh, Mariah is getting from us. There yeah, that's go. cool. So, all right, I got another question, and this one is from Mike in Slow, as we call it, San Luis, oh, San Luis the, Obispo. The abyss of San Luis. Yeah, the abyss of San Luis. And Good writing down there. So he has a 2009 Sportster 883. Go Mustangs! It's the XL883 <laughs> low model. He says, I'm coming in at about 260 pounds and the stock suspension sucks. Yes. Every time I hit a bump in the road, I feel like a lightning bolt shoots up my spine. Yes. I got the tool to adjust the rear shocks, but still no good. Work. It's been like nope. this uh, ever since I bought it with 400 miles on it. And now yep. he's got 43,000 miles on it. So okay, that's well, about 28,000 kicks in the ass from a mule. Um he says you can't lean this into corners without dragging the kickstand or the bottom pipe, right. which is why he's not a fan of the low model. Uh, he'd like to upgrade the suspension and also lift the rear a bit. Um, what do you recommend to do this? Is it just a new set of shocks or is there more yep. involved? Thanks for your advice. Um, and if I'm not making sense, it's because he's had a few libations already. Um, oh, and don't fuck knock. Knock, you seem pretty cool. Ah, never mind. Oh. Fuck knock. Ah, <laughs> I got you. Let him hold hey, for let a second. You're going to put a Gixxer front end on that bitch, and then you're going to so. put an R6 shock, and then oh, you're going to replace it. the rest of the motorcycle with a sport bike. So my good. suggestion is if you're willing to spend the money, go see a professional because they will recommend you, you know, a better damping as long as long as long as well as maybe different shocks. What just wait just hang on there. <laughs> the big problem that we encounter is there are very few professional suspension places that really want to get massively involved in Harleys. If you're talking sport mm. bikes, you talk, yeah, you know, you I mean, want to progressive talk about suspension for an RC. So, and that's exactly what I'm yeah. going to say. So my suggestion to Mike, the very first thing you've got to do is measure what you've got right now. So um, 
get a tape measure and measure from the center of the bolt at the top of the shock to the center of the bolt at the bottom of the shock. That's called eye to eye. And that's going to give you a base measurement. And I'm guessing on yours, that's going to be about 11 inches. Now, is this going to be the shock on the bike or off the bike? Because it's going to vary with probably me. on. Oh, believe me, those shocks aren't going to they're move. They're rigid. A jilter. Mm. They, these, they're only got about an inch of shock. Exactly. In them. Yeah. But I, so, I don't think a lot of people like if you just raise the back end up alone on those, those will handle much better. Right. Exactly. And so. The thing is, the way modern Harleys are set up, they're set up that if you go too high on them, the belt can encroach the rear master cylinder. Yeah. So, but that only applies if you go to a really a conventional long shock. Um, my dear friend, Mike McCarthy, he's really turned his Sportster into a flat track. He's done mm -hmm. a chain conversion on everything. But one of the, trickiest modifications he had to do he went so high in the back he's got 13 and a half inch long olins on the back of his he had to do all these modifications to the master cylinder because the chain was smacking into it if mike only goes to like 12 12 and a half inches i don't think he's going to have a problem he's going to get the back of his bike up and you mentioned the magic word Progressive do a great mm -hmm. line of shocks for specifically for Harleys. They look good on Harleys. They bolt straight on. And the best part is all the guys at Progressive have done all the calculations for you. So all you've got to do is you call up your Progressive rep and you say, hey, man, I've got this. I weigh this. What's going to be the best shock for me? And you're going to end up and it's going to be and a bolt on. The downside is then they ain't cheap. I mean, it's a five hundred dollar shock. It's not Olin's expensive, but it's it's not like going down to the shop and buying a couple of Monroes for your Ford Taurus. Um, you know, well, motorbike shocks are expensive. Well, I mean, that's why I kind of mentioned seeing a suspension tuner because they can do stuff which is might, which might be cheaper than the progressive stuff. I mean, I mean, they're just multiple I doubt it because you know. No. The, the shocks that low comes with out of the factory are just garbage. Yeah. He's going to have to just bin them because there's no movement in them. In order to get that bike so low, because the low was specifically designed for entry-level riders, so they wanted to make it as low as possible. And in order to do that, they just – they literally slammed it on the ground. It's practically on its stops before you even hit a bump. You might as well ride a rigid. He's probably getting more flex through the sidewalls of the rear tire than he is through his shocks. Maybe get a sport a very, bike. It's a very low bike. I don't know. I think there's a lot of value in Sportsters. I like them. But, mm. you know, the Sportsters changed. Anyone who says, yeah, I'm not sure whether I like Sportsters, should go back to look at what a sportster was before the late 70s. If you Google like a mid-70s mid sportster, and I've always been a huge advocate of AMF Harleys. I know they're terrible bikes, but God, they're handsome. Harley have not made a bike as good-looking as the AMF Harleys for a long time. Yes, Liza. 
So I wanted to make two suggestions yes. that maybe you haven't considered, Mike. So um, the first one, do you guys remember when we did that, um, the the Oakland Motorcycle Club, the the 300-mile thing? Not sheet yeah. iron? The sheet iron. Remember the, the dude iron. with the yeah. Harley Sportster that had yeah. uh, dirt bike suspension on it? Oh my God! Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that, yeah, so that was a that was a fully custom bike. We actually met that guy who built it at uh, I know. the Quail. I know that yeah. bike was cool. That's what I'm saying. Throw a dirt bike front end on some big shocks. Oh, take that place. thing off road. Some knobbies. I'm just saying that's one way to or, go. Or buy a dirt bike. Or the other suggestion I was going to make, um, it's it's quite a bit of money to buy these progressive shocks. And if you're going to have a shot, put it on. You might as well just buy a KLR. <laughs> um, the front end, you can also put some cartridge emulators, and that's going to help you out a lot. And those aren't too expensive. Yeah. Liza, that's a terrible suggestion. I'm sure Mike likes his Harley. So, yeah, Mike, just kick down, get some decent progressive shocks, do what Charlie says, put some progressive springs in the front, probably some emulators. It's actually going to turn into a nice riding bike. Because the he front is probably After 40,000 miles, he deserves One at a time! As far okay, as, go ahead, the, as, far as the, the peg scraping and the side stand scraping, yeah. just lean your ass off the seat some more. <laughs> um, I was going to say... I. It's probably been a while since I've told this story, but years ago I was riding a um, Harley Sportster with forward controls, and I was riding up north, um, uh, north of San Francisco, where you're coming down the hill to a army base to go check out that beach with all the glass on it. I forget the name of it. Anyway, I'm just bombing down the hill, and I got my friend behind me on like a fat boy, and I wasn't paying attention. I didn't see the speed bumps at the bottom of the hill to slow you down. Oh, oh and man. I hit that speed bump. And the front suspension kind of took it, but the rear suspension, there was none. And I had forward control, so I had nothing underneath. And it was like getting kicked in the ass by a horse. And it shot me up in the air, up over the handlebars. My head was going towards the tire, and I was holding on, like, upside down with my hands and got my legs hooked on the bars and managed to pull myself back on while doing like 60 miles an hour. I almost kissed the tire. That was fucking scary, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you've summed up to me the problem. The word sportster and forward controls should never be in the same (laughs) sentence. Over the years... The sports has become a shrunken cruiser, and it's what it never was. The sports is a standard bike. It was born as a standard, and the best ones look standard. They're high in the front, they're high in the back, and they just sit right. And at some stage, right around the late 70s, Harley decided, well, we're going to make this into a cruiser, kind of a a shrunken version of our big twin cruisers. And it's not the bike for it. And they're aesthetics over performance, basically. Right, exactly. But if you see a Sportster in its original form, they're crushingly handsome bikes. Oh, it was supposed to compete with, like, the Triumphs, the British bikes. Right. It was always the Sportster and the Bonneville. Mm -hmm. 
and they were competing against one another. Were they and, competing in flat track? Oh yeah. yeah, and on the street and every, and they were competing in looks. I mean, it, it it's. I'm not going to admit it publicly, but an original sportster and a triumph are as handsome as one another. Yeah, so, I will. I indeed. will. I will admit I did come close this past week. I was bored and I kept looking on Facebook Marketplace and I was looking at a couple sure. sportsters. Because <laughs> I do. Oh, I, yeah. You can take one of those older sportsters and put like a, so, a solo saddle on there and make it look like a bike from the 60s. I love it. Yeah, they're, they're, exactly. They're great looking bikes and you can mm-hmm. do a lot with them. They're, you know. except, exactly. Except go so, over speed bumps. Yeah, it that. should go over speed bumps, but I think if we go back to Mike's question, you don't have to go bananas, Mike. You Basically, you've got nothing right now. So even adding an inch, an inch and a half, you're not going to have to do any great modifications to the bike, and it's really going to help you out a great deal. Um, yeah, and aside from the, the comfort factor going up, it's actually, too, for me, when I do suspension stuff, it's about safety. Oh, I mean, yeah. You know, so like, like Eliza was saying, like she was nearly punted off her bike because there was no suspension travel or if it was right. stiff or whatever, you know? That's so. exactly what happened to Cat P, too. Yeah. Yep. Right. And regardless of what you do, it's probably time to rebuild your suspension anyway. So if you decide not to upgrade and you want to keep everything how it is, you should still either rebuild it yourself or get someone else to rebuild it and just change the fluids yeah. out. Right. And just one tip when you're changing out the shocks, do one at a time. Yep. <laughs> Some people learn that lesson the hard way. <laughs> well, unfortunately, if you're changing the length of the shocks, you're not going to oh, have. Oh, yeah, that you're option. right. You're right. He's going to have to support the belly of the bike. So you got to have those, a jack to jack it up. One of those flat jacks yeah. that go underneath. The good thing about Harleys is they're mostly flat underneath. So you can kind of slide the jack underneath and you know jack it up get the wheels off the ground you can obviously just jack stands on the frame i mean you can but i tell you what those like what i call the pallet jacks they're cheap as chips you can get them for like 90 100 bucks and they work so well on harleys they're great yeah you want to have better control so you can get the holes aligned perfectly to put the bolt in the shocks um hey guys i got an announcement um i've been working on the new website motorcyclesandmisfits.com website have you really yeah if you haven't checked it out go there i created uh on the about page kind of a gallery um all y'all are on it i'll just say that uh just so people can uh kind of see i didn't sign a release I signed no release. You got to pay me to no, use no, this thing. I signed it for you. I think that means we're getting paid, Doug. Not, got my I will say I didn't use your best picture, but I didn't use your worst. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Lower to average expectations is what gets me. Everybody, everybody's looking at their phone now. It was like, wait, what? <laughs> Exactly. Hey, another cool uh, feature I was able to do on there, um, all of our archived episodes, I was able to create playlists on SoundCloud by the year. So every episode we've ever done, going back to 2014, 2014, I think that was the first year. 2013, actually. Is it 2013? Oh, God, it's been a long time. Yeah, so you can go by year, click on each of those boxes, and there's all the episodes each year that we did. So, um, oh, Bosley's on there. And Bosley's on there. Oh, good boy. Yeah, so go check out motorcyclesandmisfits.com. And um, 
You can always reach out to us at RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com, but you can also use the contact page on there that works. Another nice little feature I did on the homepage, the last five episodes will always be there, so there's an easy link to find our most recent episodes on the front page, and it keeps repopulating every week, so that's pretty cool, cool. too. That's fancy. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't see I don't see the pictures. Where are the pictures? In the about link. Ah, uh, okay. Yes. And I did three three categories. The first one is the misfits, the second one is the garage, and then the third one is the podcast. So Of course um, you would be on you of course you would be on a scooter with your fucking evil Knievel outfit. Of course on. I would. <laughs> <laughs> is it top and bottom? <laughs> <laughs> no, I keep looking for the picture of you in the diaper. Oh, there's one in the Yeah. <laughs> Made you look. So, yeah, go to MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com. Take a look. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of fun pics there. Anything else going on with you guys? Anything coming up? No, man. Staying home, being safe. Something is happening in um, Jim's space right now. I'm not sure if he just just spontaneously combusted. He's he's turning on the lights for his meth lab, I think. Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) There are fireballs. Oh, my heck. Oh, dude, there's photos of Mason in here. Dude, you gotta save. We gotta save that for our next. Uh, oh yeah, Mason's in. You gotta save it for our next Evil Knievel video. Oh yeah, I got plenty of plenty of flames. Fireballs. Do, 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 do you have enough Evil Knievels? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I keep giving them away. I think the only way to top our last video, I think we got to use Fireballs and White Snake. Do you think we can get the band here? Oh, I think so. Yeah. So, um, hey, this is a time to thank everybody for listening, and thank you to our Patreon supporters. Um, I still have a few shirts left, and when I say a few, there's not many. Large and extra large only. What and is going on? I right think now? we're losing Bagel. Bagel, you're we're losing you. Uh, so yeah, just a few. Knock, you didn't pick up a medium. It is gone. They're all sold. Large and yeah. extra large. If you want yeah. one, you got to come all and get right. it, son. Well, all right. I'll get, all right. All right. I apologize, but I have more people uh, trying to buy sizes than I had. No, that's, that's fine. As long as I want more people to wear their shirts. Shit. I, I, I'll draw that shit on my chest if I have to. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the way to get a I shirt is it's simple. Uh, you can PayPal me. $25 if you're here in, in the United States and uh, give your address and tell me if you want a large or an extra large. 25 bucks gets the shirt shipped to you. If you're outside of the United States, send me an email at RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com with the country you're in. And I'll give you a quote. I got to go ship a shirt to Germany Yo. tonight. Yo, Sanders, we love our German listeners. Yeah? Yo, so there's, there's a photo of us with Norman Reedus and a dildo and a giant dildo. <laughs> it isn't photoshopped out no this one no, isn't no, this, this is one. the original this is the uh, the editor this is the director's cut yeah on amc they photoshopped it's, the dildos out but... the director's uncut you mean <laughs> yeah the director's oh, uncut. Nice one. there you go that's a good there one go. so hey guys that's another episode hey and doug i'm glad you got to join us charlie yeah, michael fun. good seeing you guys too Totally. It's like getting the band back together. I think that's what Bagel was trying to say. Band, man. Ah, nice. (laughs) All right. So um, hopefully next week it won't be so rainy and we can actually get more work done. 
find something to work on. I don't know. I keep I keep going to Craigslist and, and typing in project. It's a bad idea, but I feel <laughs> oh, like don't. I need one right now. Well, I'm gonna bring it. the uh, I'm gonna bring the XR 650L down next week. Oh, cool. Yeah, I want to see that thing, dude. Cool. Liza, if you want some project, some. Yeah, you're cutting you out, to, uh, but I. I, I think I think I got your message. Or Jim, maybe you should bring your project down here and put it on 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 the uh, lift, and we can keep working on it. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love to yeah. because I think if if we if I brought it down to the garage, I bet we could make some pretty good headway. There you, you know go. I, mean? I bet you we can get yeah, a couple maybe. more hands in on it. Well, maybe we can end up with a rolling chassis potentially by the end of the All day. All right, cool. And that's right. We uh, last week we used Bagel's cool tool. Oh yeah, got thank the, you. Uh, that thing was bitching. Got the race seated and the front end now fits. So yeah, oh, thanks. Fantastic. Cool. Yeah, because the race it was tight. That thing uh, jammed it in there. Of course, mm -hmm. then we what did we break off? Oh, the the, the steering stop. The steering stop, but. It was uh, the lower triple would run in in the steering stop. I said, if there's anything on this bike that you are going to break, the steering stop is the thing to do because you can easily weld it back on, which we had to do. I said grind it. I said grind it, but no. Someone wanted to heat it up and bend it with pliers. Yeah. They say, I know I'm welding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I needed a project. Hey, everyone. I think we're ready to get out of here. Thanks again for listening. This is Liza. Emma Darling. Bagel. Douglas. This is Knock. Knock. Who are you pointing at? Did you? Did you go? I don't. I don't know who she's pointing at. I only see one of you guys. I think go after after Mike. Everyone's placed differently on everyone else's computers. <laughs> All right, we Whatever. are out of here. Go go go. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, I'm like, I wonder how many times I can do it before Liza just hates it.